Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So, so. Nashville, mm-hmm. we're going to be there again. I'm excited. Noodles, we've talked about it. But then there's also the live show. Uh, we just found out this week that the uh, VIP for Nashville is sold out. That's right. VIPs for Nashville Sold out. There are still plenty of general admission tickets, and we would love to have you come and join us. So, you know, if you're worried that maybe you weren't going to get a ticket, you still can. But the VIPs are sold out. And there are still VIP tickets available for Boston and Charlotte. And tickets for the San Francisco show uh, will be on sale now. Well, yeah, they just went on sale. They will be on sale now. (laughs) You can find all the information and the updates at our website, theboxofoddities.com. Also, I wanted to mention that uh, I uh, I was on the phone with Himalaya quite a bit today. Uh, working out the details for the Box of Oddities premium channel. The premium channel is so exciting, and I'm super jazzed about it. If you don't have the Himalaya app now, you might want to grab it. Uh, You should anyway. It's a great app. It's free. It works on all platforms. All your favorite podcasts are on it, and uh, the Box of Oddities, of course, is on it. As will soon our premium channel. Which means that you'll be able to get uh, episodes ad-free. You'll get them a day earlier than everybody else. You also... This uh, will be a bonus episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to do one episode a month where we just get hammered drunk. Well, I wasn't going to talk about that. I was just going to say it's a bonus episode. It's a episode, bonus episode. It's going to be yeah, the, it's the, a little different. the box of drunk oddities, <laughs> only available on premium. I just realized that I'm going to have to like literally write everything that I plan to say out <laughs> because it is going to be hard It'll be for me to keep track of what the fuck's going on. And then uh, also you'll have access to us directly in our super secret uh, chat group. Right. And then uh, later on this year, very possibly extra bonus stuff, but we're not going to get into that right now. We're still working out the kinks. Right. There's, no kink shaming. There is there is more coming. We'll let you know. Just go to the App Store, download the Himalaya uh, app, and then you'll be ready. Okay. So you go first today. Oh, okay. 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 Cool, 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 cool. No doubt, no doubt. Um, 
Speaking of today, what is today? Today is Thursday, our anniversary. It's our anniversary. It's our anniversary. Oh! Uh, anyway, um, it's our anniversary. Happy anniversary, Mom. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm glad that we got to that eight minutes in. <laughs> um... <laughs> You know, I appreciate that. Happy anniversary to you. I thought that it would be really interesting to do a little investigating about anniversaries, since it is our fourth wedding anniversary. Okay. The traditional gifts associated with anniversaries. It's interesting to me. I didn't know where they came from, so I thought we'd dive in a little bit. I was talking about uh, this with a friend at work the other day, and I was like, you know, the traditional anniversary gifts. And she was like, what are you talking about? Well, you know. Well, yeah, like the 50th anniversary is the golden anniversary, and it should be a gift that's made of gold. That's exactly correct. Uh, Is it the 25th that's the silver anniversary right on the nose what year is big screen tv Mm, not one Mm. well i guess it could be interpreted that way but that's one of the fun things about uh the anniversary gifts is that you can interpret them in different ways okay um okay so the funk and wagnall's standard dictionary of folklore mythology and legend which i need to have by the way, notes that certain luck-bringing substances were paired with distinct numbers of years in order to provide gift suggestions. Historians say that giving distinct gifts at milestone anniversaries originated in Germanic regions of Central Europe in medieval times, or medieval. Medieval. I still say medieval. Because that's how that's it, how you learned it. That's exactly how I learned yeah. it. And if I start trying to say it the other way, everything's just going to go chahos. Yeah, we <laughs> don't want that. Have you noticed that I've been making a concerted effort to say during as opposed I, to during? I did. I also yeah. noticed that when you corrected yourself after saying robot, somebody actually let us know that robot is the correct way to say it, and robot is incorrect. Right. I was right all along. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's. Always the way. Robot. (laughs) It sounds like a frog is saying it. (laughs) Um, Okay. In Central Europe, in the medieval times, the wife would receive a silver wreath for her 25th anniversary from her husband. And silver symbolized harmony. Now, at this time, Europe was richly endowed with silver-bearing ore deposits, uh, the mining of which was particularly prevalent in Britain. This was real silver, not just a gift, a wreath that was silver silver in in color. Right, exactly. Okay. Uh, Silver gifts. Now, this next portion of information that I'm going to be sharing with you comes from Mining Weekly. I thought your subscription to that ran out. So, unfortunately, the adoption of silver coinage largely coincided with the Viking Age, which was a period which involved a lot of uh, pillaging, looting, etc. Sure. And from the 8th century onwards, the coastal regions of Europe, as well as Great Britain and Ireland, were subject to waves of raids by Vikings. Sorry about that. Um, And they were just stealing silver hand over foot. Were you apologizing for your ancestors just now? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Damnyouancestry.com. I know. The guilt... The guilt. 
No worries, though. I'm also French, and Lord knows they've done nothing wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, it's estimated that some 400 tons of silver was either looted or extorted by the Vikings from uh, Anglo-Saxon kingdoms alone. And by 880, the Vikings had looted Europe's coinage so effectively that they essentially removed silver from Europe's circulation. They had stolen all of it. They just took it. They killed the goose. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, back to anniversaries. I got way into the Viking pillaging and stuff. Okay, okay, they're your people. According to an 1850s travel book on peasant life in Germany, the wife wore a silver wreath and the husband wore a silver buckle for the 25th anniversary. So the tradition kind of grew in in multiple ways. Okay, so this silver wreath wreath must have been relatively small because in my mind i was picturing like one of those giant christmas wreaths made of silver that would be really heavy it would be (laughs) and and hard to go about your daily routine while while bearing that i would think i go collect eggs but my head's so low anyway if a couple ended up celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and at that time probably pretty extraordinary uh the wife would receive a wreath of gold and given the expense of these medals it was likely that this tradition was carried out among the wealthy pretty exclusively so that's how the silver wedding anniversary and the golden wedding anniversary became a thing and at that time these were the only two milestone anniversaries denoted by very specific gifts so more anniversaries gained special designation in the Victorian era of the 1800s. So around 1875, Wood was designated for the fifth anniversary, and the 75th wedding anniversary was designated the Diamond Anniversary. 75th? Mm-hmm. How many people make it that far, I wonder? I'm sure there are people, but... Sure. But, Jesus, back in Victorian times... Right? You would have had to have been... Well, see... Well, that's why it was people, a high-value sure, present. I, I get that. Just seems like an awful long time to wait for a diamond. Well... Of course, they married younger then. That's true. 13, 15 years old. Right. And if you, you know, I mean, at that time, a quart of milk was a pretty big deal. So that's true. Happy fifth anniversary. The average lifespan was like 45. Something like that. So I think probably that's actually the, generous. a pretty good chance that uh, diamonds were not exchanged on a regular basis. Right. Now, Stephanie Kuntz, Director of Research and Public Education for the Council on Contemporary Families, she also uh, wrote the book Marriage, a History, uh, wrote that when a love match was first a popular idea, it kind of destabilized the traditional ways that marriages were arranged. And I mean... Love was very rarely the reason that marriages happened. Right. It was it was more for the uh, bride's dowry. Dowry. Robot. <laughs> <laughs> you married her for her belongings. So if what what's going to keep people together if love is the only thing that uh, that got them together in the first place? That seemed crazy. Um, so there began this emphasis Mm -hmm. on building a love and commitment and uh, really celebrating 
the time spent together. Like, hey, great job, guys. You did it. Not just staying together because you have to, because there are no other options, but staying together because you choose to. Yeah, you get married in five years. In five years, you're going to get something made of wood. There's an incentive (laughs) to stay with somebody. I'm just saying, if you're lucky, you're getting wood on the first night. overlooked it couldn't be it couldn't be well done according to time.com by the 1859 edition of the old farmer's almanac they counted off one month from marriage makes a sugar wedding and one year makes a paper wedding then wood at five tin at 10 silver at 25 gold at 50 Gold at 50 and diamond for 75. Now, what makes sugar at a month? I don't know. Maybe because it's. This was Victorian times? It was 1859. Okay, 1859. Sugar was still very highly prized at that point. Mostly wealthy people had easy access to sugar. But it's not technically an anniversary. No. It just seems interesting that they would yes. choose, like, I guess staples would be good for the first year. Like, flowers, your second month. and. Well, I thought you meant, like, a box of staples. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be silly. Sure would. The third anniversary, office supplies. That's actually on there. We're getting to it. What? Now... By 1877, there was a book titled Perfect Etiquette, or How to Behave in Society, and that singled out eight occasions on which a specific present was appropriate. Again, this is according to time. Such lists began to also show up in dictionaries as well as Webster's Complete Dictionary of the English Language, which was published in 1880, and that declared that gifts in the appropriate material, like wooden wedding for five, tin for 10, china at 20, the classic silver and golden for 25th and 50th. Now, the first year is traditionally paper, and that's actually a pretty argued point. Not that it is paper, but why it's paper. And there are a lot of theories about that. Uh, Paper is modest, um, so it makes sense. It's just your first year. It's you've you know made it through that point. Um, but it's also fragile because love in your early years can be fragile. Uh, it's inexpensive, so newlyweds can afford it. That kind of thing. Sure, no, that makes sense. Happy Aunt first anniversary, honey. Here's a Kit Kat wrapper. There's some melted chocolate on the inside. Uh, 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 uh. See, that's romantic. Mm. Um, Other theories include that uh, a blank sheet of paper, like stationary, might be symbolic of the the life that you will write together. Ah. See? Cotton is the second year's gift. To to bandage wounds? Could be. uh, Could be for making clothes. Clothes? Things. Out of, you know, things are made of cotton, not just wound bandages. Anyway, they, they, obviously the gifts get more extravagant and more expensive as the years more go on. More extravagant than cotton. These can be interpreted. So if you want to go by traditional gift giving standards and your first anniversary, you want to give paper, you can give money. Money. 
Money is made of paper. Sometimes. You can also do tickets to events. You can because they're made of paper. Mm-hmm. You can do. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways to interpret that. So if uh, stationary isn't your style, if that's not special enough for you, if your love's love isn't enough for you, and you need presents. I'm sorry. I was just looking up to see what your big screen TV was. Uh huh. It's um, four, by the way. So now, <laughs> what anniversary is this for us? Oh yeah, four. Go ahead. Um, well, technically, uh, the traditional gift for the fourth anniversary is fruit or flowers. So, what about if it's fruit or flowers? on a 4K UHD flat screen. I don't know what any of that means. So please I'll write consider it down. I'll write it down that for you. that's never what you're going it, to get. I'll write it down for you on this piece of paper that you gave me for our first anniversary. It all ties together nicely, sweetie. As the years have gone by, as the years have evolved and we have as a people, uh, obviously there are more modern options. So let's go over some of the traditional versus modern options. Year one, the traditional gift is paper, as we discussed. Year two, cotton. Year three, leather, sassy. Mm-hmm. Year four, fruit and flowers. Year five, wood. Year six, candy slash iron. Do not combine those. <laughs> Number seven, copper. Number eight, bronze. Nine is pottery. And 10 is tin or aluminum. Now, if you're going modern gifts, year one, the gift is a clock. Okay. Uh, symbolizing the time that you'll spend together in the mm, passage of... Mm, uh, year two, China. Wait, China got bumped up? Moving up 19 spaces from number 20 to number two, it's China. Wow. And now, <laughs> with our countdown. Um, yeah, some of these are repeats of the traditional gifts. They just got moved around. That impersonation was a repeat. It's true. It did just get moved around. Now, I find the moving around very suspicious. Mm. And I think it's got a lot to do with, once again, and this is a repeat, marketing. marketing. Number three, crystal or glass. Number four, appliances. Uh, year number five, instead of wood, it's silverware. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been funny if in medieval times, uh, year four was an appliance and, you know, you got like a butter churn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. That's, yep. that's great. I mean, still, I know people who, if even if it was for their fourth wedding anniversary, if they got an appliance, they would throw it at you. It's, mm. I, however... I love and approve of practical gifts because I'm a practical person. Thank you very much. I will also accept very gladly a sheet of strawberry shortcake stickers. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, I'm pretty easy to please. Anyway, uh, year six is wood. Dropping one space this week to number six. Appliances, silverware, and crystal glass, you know, bumped wood out. Uh, And I think, again, it's got to do with who can sell what. Uh, year number seven, a desk set. Year number eight, linens and lace. Year number nine, leather. No kink shaming. And number 10, diamond jewelry. So you can see how <laughs> diamonds made their way from 75 to 10. And I think that's for very specific reasons that you can figure out. I want to know who the committee was that made these determinations. 
Well, it had a lot to do with um, these etiquette groups, uh, people writing uh, magazine articles, I'm sure, people marketing for department stores. I mean, for the modern gifts, of course. I mean, appliances. Come on. Right. That was Sears and Roebuck all the way. So I have to admit something. I don't remember any of the gifts that we've exchanged for any of our anniversaries <laughs> mm. at all. Yeah. And that's not because I don't love you. It's mm. because I have a terrible memory. Right. And I don't, I just don't retain stuff like that. Yeah, I can't remember either. I think the, oh, fir- oh, no, the first second year, year yeah. you gave me a ring. Yeah, I gave you that. And this is beautiful and I love it. But I don't remember what I got you that year. Wasn't a big screen TV. I know it that. It sure was not. No. Don't remember a single thing <laughs> yeah. that I've ever purchased for you I for our anniversary. I, the only thing I can remember is the ring. That's the only thing <laughs> I remember. We're great at this. Oh, we're horrible. <laughs> Just horrible. <laughs> but when you consider the fact that we have five TVs already, I think you're set. Yeah, but none of them are 4K UHD. Yeah, I don't know what any of that means, so it doesn't matter. They're all just dumb 1080p. Mm. At least they are 120 hertz refresh rate. Oh. So that's good. Phew. Anniversary gifts. Neat. Anniversary gift is on the way. It's supposed to be delivered on today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) When this episode drops. Um, So... Your anniversary gift's going to be it. delivered yesterday. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> Is it a time travel machine? Because, mm. no, we're planning a very low-key anniversary this year. We're actually, uh, we're going to Bar Harbor, mm-hmm. or as they say in Maine, Bahaba. And uh, we've got a nice room at a resort down there. And this is right across the road from the Roosevelt Summer Estate. It's really very lovely. My dad used to caddy for the Roosevelt's. That's true. Mm -hmm. The year that he turned 13, he made more money that summer than his dad made in a whole year. That's nuts. Thanks, Roosevelt's. Yeah, no kidding. And, 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 And wasn't it true that they would fly him down to like Florida and other places that they were golfing so he could caddy for them? He he worked down there. I don't know exactly the arrangements that they had, but he did work down there with them, yes. That's crazy. Yeah. I and once that. he made a hamburger for John Wayne. And now it's time for That Thing in the Middle. That Thing in the Middle, totally ridiculous invention ideas that actually received patents. Number five, a diaper alarm. I think we can figure out what that does. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it is Bluetooth activated. Oh, so that's handy. Number four, the flying turtle. (laughs) It's kind of like a airbag system that you fit to your body so that in the event that you're thrown from a vehicle, you puff out like you have a turtle shell. And that protects you from the road and trees or whatever else you might fly into. Number three... The banana suitcase, it's exactly (laughs) what it says it is. It's a piece of small luggage for your banana. Okay, so it is for a banana and not shaped like a banana? It's shaped like a banana for a banana. Here are the instructions, according to the patent. In use, the user opens the container and places a banana inside thereof and closes the container to allow the user to carry the banana in a safe manner. So smart. Well, he used the word thereof, so that made it official. Arbs. Number two, shinskis. Shinskis? Shinskis. Hey, 
Falling down while skiing is no fun for everyone. U.S. patent issued 1972. The taller you are, the further you're going to fall, and the hard snow and ice can be very unforgiving. But if you get up close and personal with Mother Nature, by kneeling down before you fall, you will then hit your shin skis. Ah. And then just slide. Because you'll have skis attached to your shins. (laughs) At all times... The number one most absurd, absurd uh, invention that actually holds a patent, the trash burner and barbecue pit. Yes, oh. that's right. You can burn your trash and grill your meat all at once. purpose Honey, these, these ribs taste like diapers. You're listening to the Box of Oddities. The question is... Why? In the last episode, we talked a bit about the ridiculous tradition of color-coding babies. Mm. Now, we got a message uh, from one of you delightful creatures uh, stating this. I remember working at a Build-A-Dino, which is basically Build-A-Bear with dinosaurs. My coworkers and I noticed a pattern where girls could choose whatever dinosaur they wanted without much repercussion from their parents. They could dress their dinos any way they chose, from skirts to overalls to hard hats and frilly bows. Boys, however, seem to be urged by some parents to pick certain dinos. Don't you want the blue or the green one instead of the pink or the purple? Uh, Same thing when it came to clothes. God forbid the boys wanted T-Rex in a sundress. (laughs) Wait, seriously, we all want T-Rex in a sundress. Let's be honest. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... 
Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer okay here's what i'm going to talk about today okay i think that you'll find this interesting is it related to our anniversary it is not related to our anniversary but it is about animals and you love animals i do yeah and it's our fourth anniversary and that's animal stories it's actually not an animal story there's animal in it <laughs> that's the best i could do this is wandering further and further away as being from being something for me but go ahead okay it's a story about a young boy who had a dream and he worked very hard to make this dream come true overcoming all kinds of obstacles it's quite inspiring it's a story of frank hayes okay now frank hayes was born in 1888 into an irish american family in uh brooklyn new york at a very young age he spent a lot of time out out on the street you've seen pictures of new york you know in the late 19th century kids playing stick ball in the street and opening fire hydrants and running through the spray of water well he spent instead of doing that frank spent time with all the horses that were pulling the carts and the carriages throughout New York in that day. Sure. He loved horses. Horses became his life. He dedicated all of his time and energy into spending time with horses. He started out by befriending a shopkeeper who owned a horse that dragged his wagon around and supplied the local area with with various goods. And he, he went up to the shopkeeper and he said, can I take care of your horse. I just want to take care of it. I don't want any money. I just want to take care of your horse. And the shopkeeper said, yeah, that's, that's fine. So he spent a great deal of time just grooming this workhorse and spending time and bonding with this, this horse. As he got a little older, he landed a job as a stable hand for a horse breeder. And he spent most of his young adult years mucking out stalls, mm. grooming horses, shoeing them, just taking Farrier care. Farrier type activities? Yeah, all all of the types of things that you would expect a stable hand to do in the uh, 19th century. All along dreaming, one day, one day, he would be a jockey. Oh, I thought you... Th- okay, I was thinking he wanted to be a horse. No, no. Although, maybe... He wanted to be a jockey. He wanted to race at Belmont Park as a jockey. Okay. 
And he was the uh, stable hand for this horse breeder who actually had horses that did race at that level. Okay. The horse breeder's name, the person who owned the uh, stable was K.L. Frailing. And she saw potential in Frank, not as a jockey, but as a trainer. So he was promoted from stable hand to trainer. Nice. And he spent a lot of time working with the horses. And a couple of the horses that he worked with actually won big races, like at Belmont Park, where he dreamed of, of, of riding one day himself. He wanted to ride the horses himself past the winning post. But really what he ended up doing is watching it behind a pair of binoculars and then going down to the winner's circle when the horse that he trained won and watch the jockey get all the accolades for all the work that he did up until the point of, of the race. Mm -hmm. So he started asking the horse breeder, could I please, could I please be a jockey? One of the races. I, I just, I just want to race one time. I just want to do, this is, this has been a life dream of mine. And they said no. And, and so he asked again. Was he like a normal sized man? He was he was close to jockey size. I should size. say average size. He, he was close to jockey size. Okay. At the time, he was 142 pounds, and jockeys at the time were about 130. Okay. You had you in order to oh, race. Oh, I remember weighing 130 pounds. <laughs> Middle too. school was fun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so even though he really enjoyed training the horses, he just wanted that one opportunity. But instead, he was he was relegated, just quietly cooling the horse down and leading it back to the stable after um, after the race at the start of 1923. So he's he's like 36 now. Mm -hmm. All of these years, he's been asking, please let me just just one race. Let me let me jockey a horse for one race. He saw his opportunity to ride one of the horses that he'd been <gasps> training for a race at Belmont Park. Did he poison a jockey? No, but that would have been a cool twist. It sounds very Murder, She Wrote, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really does. No, this is actually more Twilight but Zone. who would have reason to <laughs> do such a thing? The horse that he wanted to ride was a bay mare named Sweet Kiss. It was owned by A.M. Frailing, the daughter of the, um, the breeder that he worked for. Okay. And she wanted to see her horse ride out in the New York track on June the 14th or June the 4th of that year. However, she couldn't find a, a jockey at short notice. So he went to her and he pleaded. He said, please let me, let me, let me ride sweet kiss in the race at Belmont. She declined stating that, you know, he, he was too heavy. Yeah. He was 142. He needed to be 130. And that would hamper his, not only would he not qualify, but it would hamper the chances of the horse even finishing in the top five. But he sure. persisted and he, and he said, if I can lose the weight before the race, will you let me ride? And she said, yes. So that set in motion a, a very extreme weight loss campaign. Never healthy. Because it was only a few days. He had to lose 12 pounds in, in just a few days Ugh. to meet the race requirements. From what I've heard, a pound a week is really the goal weight loss. Well, he lost all 12 pounds Ugh. before the race. He was out jogging with sweaters on and stuff. To... I imagine that, yeah, that's not good. So race day came around and uh, they said, Frank, yes, you are going to, your dream is about to come true. You're going to race at Belmont Park. He was like, yeah, you know what? I feel terrible. 
Uh, so <laughs> in the jockey's room at Belmont, the other uh, jockeys said uh, after the race that they noticed, you know, they, they really uh, appreciated how excited he was to finally debut as a jockey at the age of, uh, I guess he was 35, 35 years old. Okay. And when the horses and the riders gathered at the starting point, he looked at uh, the, the jockey next to him and he said, today is a good day to make history. And then the starter waved his flag to begin the race, and off they went. His very first race, 35 years old. The race was very close. The favorite was uh, J.S. Cosden, who was riding the mare Gimme, G-I-M-M-E. Throughout the race, Gimme and Sweet Kiss were separated only by two or three lanes. It was a nail-biter. Rounding the last turn, Sweet Kiss almost collided with Gimme but was able to right himself. With the finish line approaching, both riders dug in. Sweet Kiss crossed over first by a length and a half. Both horses slowed to a walk. Hayes had won. He won the very first race that he ever had a chance to jockey. Wow. Spectators rose to their feet. Now, this mare was a 20-to-1 shot to beat Gimme. Hayes was very relaxed, slumped forward on the horse as he passed the winning posts. He looked as though he was whispering in the mayor's ear. Mm-hmm. He had never won a race before. Spectators in attendance were, uh, they were just going crazy for this guy. But instead of being really excited, they, they thought he was kind of showboating because he just looked so casual. They said, spectators said, he was riding the horse one-handed, relaxed as a dog sleeping in front of a fireplace. The horse continued to run before easing into a canter for another 100 yards. Eventually, Hayes, who was now slumped over the horse neck, toppled over onto the ground face first. Because uh, he was dead? The track physician, Dr. John Voorhees, ran to the scene and declared him dead. He died, reports said, sometime After taking the lead in the grueling two-mile race, somehow Hayes miraculously stayed in the saddle, even over the last jump. This was a steeplechase. Oh, oh. So he went over the last, he was dead when he went over the last jump and he did not fall off until Sweet Kiss, the 21 long shot, crossed the finish line ahead of the pack. Very Twilight Zone. I, I just, in my mind, I can picture this guy has a dream of mm-hmm. winning a, a race and he makes a deal with the devil. Oh, you know, sure. And he's yeah. like, yeah, just, I, I will sell you my soul. Just let me win one race. And the devil was just a really nicely dressed man in a hotel lobby. Looking a lot like uh, Al Pacino. Yeah. Yeah. And so the devil's like, yeah, that's no problem. Yeah, uh, you're going to win, but you'll be dead by the time you do. Of course, the story was considered unbelievable. The fact that a 20-to-1 mare had won the race to begin with, but then won with a dead jockey on her back. After the discovery of Hayes' death, all further post-race formalities were waived Hmm. by the jockey club. They said, you know what? Uh, We're not going to continue with the celebration here. They even waived the uh, customary weighing in. Sure. After, you know, after the jockey wins, they weigh them again. Right. They decided to waive that. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of times when you die, you evacuate. Um, sure. And you would lose. And you yeah. would have lost that. And that's not fair anyway. No. The result went without contest. Mm. And as a mark of respect to Frank Hayes, Belmont's jockey club declared him the winner. Wow. 
I'm, I may anger the jockey community here, but what does that say for what a jockey means to a horse race? <laughs> okay, this is one incident where a corpse actually piloted a horse to victory. Well, it's been almost a century since this happened, and it's still not clear exactly how Hayes died. Well, probably from some sort of weird exhaustion from losing 12 pounds over the course of two days. That is one uh, theory. There's a picture of him jumping over the uh, final hurdle. All kinds of dead? All kinds of dead, I guess. Mm. He doesn't look dead. No? But uh, Rhoda Ferrero, head librarian at uh, Keeland Library, told CNN, the fact that we have a photograph of Hayes on Sweet Kiss mid-jump the day that day is pretty incredible as photographers of that period for which we are the repository of record, did not specialize in steeplechase coverage. The Guinness Book of World Records declared him the first dead jockey to actually win a race. I don't think there's been a second. I'm looking for a photo now. Some said it could have been from the excitement of the race. Other reports pointed to heart failure as a result of having to reduce his weight so quickly, like, sure. like you were saying. It, I'm sure, Combination of the two. In my mind, that's, that's what it was. According to the Buffalo Morning Express, quote, he was confronted with the task of taking off nearly 10 pounds in 24 hours. This morning, he spent several hours on the road jogging off surplus weight. He strove and sweated and denied himself water. And when he climbed into the saddle at post time, he was weak and tired. A news report the following day in the Auburn, New York Citizen dramatically described the outcome. And in my mind, I'm thinking old-timey newsreel guy. Of course. Death clutches Francis Hayes, steeplechase jockey, as he rode first winner yesterday at Belmont Park. Sweet kiss, his mount, cleverly handled, came across the finish line, a length ahead of the favored gimme, with the lad swaying from side to side. Hayes was valiantly but weakly tugging at the bridle as death gripped his heart, and the mists swam before his eyes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Which is how they all talked about Of back course, then. yes. A week later, Hayes was buried in the same riding silks he wore. Well, that's nice. I mean, it's a week later. I hope they laundered them. Because of the bowel evacuation? <laughs> yep. I don't know how well silk launders either. It's, no. It's, it's got to be dry clean only, right? Well, you got to rinse them out. They're delicates. As for the mayor, Sweet Kiss... She instantly gained new na- a new name. They they renamed her, or at least the press did, Sweet Kiss of Death. Oh. Miss Frailing, the owner, found it hard to get jockeys to ride her after yeah, no, that. No, that's not. Oh, man. No doubt to superstition. So the mayor was retired with an impeccable record, unbeaten. And she lived out the rest of her life quietly in a field you made up that last part because you don't know what happened to her because that's not part of the story because no one cares it's terrible i care and i think that miss fraley took very good care of that horse all right then i got my information from headstuff.org cnn the vintage news and newspapers.com which is a really cool place to find articles vintage newspaper articles so frank hayes the only guy to win a horse race while dead (laughs) <laughs> so i'm just gonna shut up now uh because i i'm hot and the air conditioner is off because we can't record with the air conditioner on it's loud anyway you can find tickets to our live show theboxofoddities.com our live halloween tour again nashville uh the vip tickets uh, have sold out i hope they come <laughs> we will uh, in the meantime see you on monday 
<laughs> Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those on report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, Women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.